0: Live from Crestview Studios, Florida. It's the Dave and Duke Collins Show, and now here's your co-host, Speak Free Radio owner David Gahari and the incomparable Doctor David Duke. Limber up your dialing fingers. Okay, folks. Hello, and let's just check before I make a fool of myself any further uh let's see if i'm okay it looks good but i don't know uh i don't know oh yeah it's working okay cool all right this is dave Gehary, and you are listening to the dave and do call-in show on speakfreeradio.com and we are here every sunday evening from six to eight central time the time zone that both Dave and I are in and uh this is uh geez let's just take a look real quick because if you go to speakfreeradio.com and you click on the podcasts tab you can see the show number and the date and all that and it looks like this is show 68 already so we've been doing this for quite some time so For those uh, new listeners, familiarize yourself with speakfreeradio.com, and you can see that um, there's a schedule. It's a 24-7 schedule and some really terrific shows, uh, cutting-edge shows, and uh, I listen to them myself, uh, and they are really uh, wonderful, wonderful shows. And you'll see if you go to speakfreeradio.com, you uh, can press that play button on the top to listen to one of the shows that are happening at the moment, where you can visit the podcast tab. If you're on a phone, you click that phone icon to the left, and that's specially designed for phones. The website is designed for phones. Also, you'll see, <clears throat> excuse me, to the right, you'll see a picture of a fella, it says, RIP Joseph Edward Rizzoli, September 9, 1952, to January 30, 2024. Well, many of you will be familiar with the Rizzoli brothers, Jim and Joe, twin brothers, who have been uh, putting out great work on the Holohoax for many years. And sadly, uh, Joe, uh, on June 30, Um, he passed on and uh, not quite sure what he passed from, but uh, uh, that is something that, uh, you know, that's discussed and, uh, and is debated because he really wasn't uh, taken care of the way that you would hope that someone would be. Uh, Whatever the case may be, a great man, uh, Joe Rizzoli has passed on. Uh, And you can listen to, Uh, The Hoaxbusters, which is uh, Jim uh, Rizzoli, Diane King, and Diana Ploss on Saturday nights on Speak Free Radio. And that is, I believe, from 7 to 9 uh, Central. Yeah, 8 to 10 Eastern. So that's a great show. So check that out. And let me tell you that uh you know the format in the of the show of this show is typically that it's a call-in show and so uh folks can call in and they do from all over the world sometimes it's really busy and i'm rushing david along and sometimes it's not and i'm not um but like last week was we we were we were hammered um and so the way it works is uh, folks will call in. They'll come into the studio, and that is by going to speakfreeradio.com and clicking the call and chat tab, and then you'll see the Dave and Duke call and show icon. You click on that, and that brings you into the waiting room. And then uh, we'll bring you in when uh, the time is right to ask your question or make your comment. Uh, And then uh, David has uh, two minutes to answer. That's that's the format. And then about 15 seconds before that two minutes, you'll hear that nice, pleasant NBC chime sound. And then on the two-minute mark, you'll hear it again. And Dave will have to wrap it up if he has not already wrapped it up. And uh, that's the show, two hours of that, just about two hours. And there is an ongoing challenge, which we've issued probably for as long as the show has existed. And that is very simple. And if anyone can meet this challenge and can let us know a greater existential threat to humanity and free speech other than organized international Jewry let us know and we will quit the show immediately we'll just leave you'll probably get classical music or something and along the same lines if you can let us know of a more effective deliverer of that message of Jewish supremacy which is becoming more and more obvious to more and more people as each day goes along Which, God, that is, it's just a shame that it's here. Uh, If you could let us know who can deliver that message more effectively, more thoroughly, more intelligently, and more, um, I don't know, uh, just more, more than David Duke, let us know and we'll quit. Uh, Although, of course, neither challenge will be able to be met. Now, today on. February 4 at 6.08 p.m. Central Time. I'm going to bring David on, but we're going to do things a little differently today. We're going to try a different format, at least for the first hour. And it might even go to the second hour. It probably will, but we don't know yet. But this is what we're going to do, because this is important. And this is one of the reasons why I asked David a while ago, um, to do a show like this and the reason was because I knew what he was like and I knew what the Jews media uh, said he was like and that always bothered me and so I wanted the world to have an opportunity to find out for themselves and to talk to the guy and I think over this over one year that we've been doing this uh, I, I think and I know because I've heard from folks and I've gotten emails and phone calls. Uh, they have seen what he's like, and it's nothing like the Jews media portrays him to be, of course, because that's poison. That's a poison media. So what we're going to do today is we're going to bring Dave on and we're going to do kind of like a who, why, where, what, how type of thing. Like, you know, who he is, how did he get into this? Why did he join the KKK and what things did he discover about that and we're going to continue in that fashion. What's going to happen is we're going to bring Dave on now. And Dave's going to have 10 minutes to start from wherever he wants to start. And then I'm going to buzz or chime him. And then we're going to take 10 minutes of calls in reference to the topics that David is touching upon. So let's get right to it. How does that
1: sound, Dave? Dave? That sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. It's a really good chance to uh, explain more deeply what motivates me, uh, what shaped my life, and my evolutionary trajectory as an individual and as an American patriot. And I do believe a human rights activist in this world. And uh, I think people are going to find it interesting and, I hope, compelling. We'll see.
0: Yeah, I think they will. So why don't we start right now? It is uh, 6.11 and a half, and uh, I'll chime you when the time is right. Sounds great. All right, so let's so start the I'll
1: chime me uh, one minute before the end of the 10 minutes, and that way okay. I'll wrap up each 10 minute more acutely. Okay. Okay.
0: Go ahead, Dave. The floor is yours.
1: Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, um, I welcome this opportunity just to Basically explain to you and to the audience and other people around the world exactly who I am, where I came from, what my motivations are, my real motivations in my life and the trajectory of my life, my evolutionary philosophical development, political development, personal development. And um, I think that some of you may resonate with the story. Sometimes my story may kind of... Mix with yours, depending on where you're from in the world. Let's just start off this way. Like most young kids in the world, I grew up with an enormous respect for my ancestors, for my heritage, for my values, for my people. I knew what I was. I was an American. I was a white person, European. I was a Southerner because I lived in the South, even though I might have been born in Oklahoma. That's a place my father was for a while. But I was born in in Oklahoma, but I grew up in the South. And we grew up with Confederate holidays and honoring Robert E. Lee and, and the right of the Southern people to separate if they wanted to, to control their own government, just as the Constitution of the United States, the Declaration. Defended the right of all people to run their own affairs. And I believed this fundamental human right was true for Southerners. It was true for Americans. It was true for anybody in the world. That one of the basic principles we've had since the time of the Greeks was the idea that we had the right to have a government in our values, in our culture and heritage. And we had a right to love what we were, the way we looked, to love our heroes, to love our great creators and musicians and artists and architects and all the things that made up Western civilization. And I truly love my people. I also grew up uh, from a father who was very, very uh, anti-communist. He was a full colonel in the army. He still went to reserve army uh, activities, even though it was long since the second world war, which he was in and he was in the army from the time of the, I think the 1920s. Uh, in fact, he was an ROTC when he was in college, he fought in the second world war. Uh, he was a very patriotic American and he was very anti-communist. He was also in favor of the rights and freedoms of the American people. He was conscious of that. He was also conscious of our European heritage. Uh, He came from the plains of Kansas and and his wife, my mother, from Missouri. Uh, They were pioneers, their ancestors. They were farmers. Um, They were people close to the land and the soil and the traditions of the United States. And um, I knew who I was. I had a lot of pride in being a Southerner. And I'm not even going to talk first about my politics, I'm going to first tell you what that meant. Okay, when I was an American growing up, one of the most famous programs we watched, it was a very big popular program on Walt Disney, the last Christian holdout in Hollywood before was completely taken over by Jews, including Walt Disney, which is something that Don, uh, that uh, the great Walt Disney would roll over in his grave to see what Walt Disney promotes today, Mr. Iger. And, um, I remember watching Davy Crockett. And yes, the story of America was one of people coming into into the Americas and building a new country. And yes, there were people in America who were living here. It was a very tiny percentage of the population per capita in terms of the, the massive land space. The Indian population was very small and it was very divided and it was very different. They certainly didn't identify as, quote, Indians. They identified as their tribes. And their Indian tribes fought, and they themselves had empires occasionally where they would conquer other tribes, enslave other tribes, uh, control other tribes, look at the Aztecs and the Incas, and they often were very oppressive to other tribes. This is the history of mankind, and it's kind of normal for every tribe who were separate by their heritage, by their traditions, by their... Even genetics, because they pre- pretty much uh, endogamous, meaning they bred among themselves. And even Indian tribes could sometimes be identified by how, how they looked, whether they were tall or short, whether they were uh, heavy and muscular or whether they were more slender, whether they were uh, primitive uh, farmers of maize or whether they were hunters. and and, uh, and, of course, the famous buffalo hunters of the West. They were very different both North and South America. And one more tribe came to the Americas, and it was the European people. And we built America. But the interesting thing was, is that Americans had a much different attitude toward Indians and toward, uh, and by the way, toward black people, even even after slavery took place, than uh, Jews have toward non-Jews. We're going to be talking about that in a minute. But um, the, the truth is, In America, we really respected the Indians. We were young kids. We idolized, in a way, the Indians. We kind of, um, you know, we romanticized the Indians. The first thing that most of our kids had was bows and arrows, (laughs) even long before we got old enough to have a gun. And we often made our own bows and arrows. And... uh, and we would love to dress up as Indians and cowboys, and uh, and often we fought to be the Indians or we fought to be the cowboys, depending on the thing. Some, and sometimes we played war, and sometimes we fought to be Americans or we fought to be Germans. But we had this sense of our of our heritage. I I know that Americans, uh, in fact, we put Indian heads on our nickels, right? Uh, they put a statue on, on the top of the Capitol. people say he's. He's not Indian, but he looks pretty Indian. He's got a big headdress on, and so forth. Looks like he has feathers on his head, and uh, but uh, and people considered it that for a long time. Now, when I was a kid, uh, I grew up loving the South and loving America. We choke up for the Confederate flag, and we also choke up for the American flag. We were very patriotic Americans. Now, when my family my family moved to Holland when I was only four years old, and in Holland. Um, I went to Dutch kindergarten. I was a pretty bright kid, but at four years old, you pick up the language pretty good. And uh, I remember my parents used to tell the story quite a bit that I came home from Dutch kindergarten after a couple of days. And I said, they asked me, how is kindergarten in in Holland? And I said, oh, it's great. They speak English here. (laughs) And they laughed about that for years because at that age, you pick it up. And, uh, and I remember Holland found very fondly. I loved my old neighborhood, uh, where I lived in, uh, in America Lake Charles and then later Louisiana, but it was so quaint in the Hague. It was beautiful bicycles. I remember we, we had a Dutch housekeeper who was such a fantastic woman, uh, Ellen. Uh, we had a bread man, uh, that would come by on a bicycle, uh, with, with kind of a three-wheeler thing with uh bread milk and cheese so it was it was uh, he'd come by and every morning we'd hear his voice "Brot, milk und uh gosh i think it was for cheese if i remember correctly and uh and we'd love that uh we i had a pair of wooden shoes i was given and uh, my sister and I tried to wear the wooden shoes. We even had a little Dutch costume to wear occasionally. And, uh, I remember how much it hurt the feet, but we got used to it because we wanted, uh, to conform. And it was just part of that culture we loved. And I just grew to love it. One minute. And so over the next, uh, year, our family would go. My father actually, we actually shifted over. A Nash Rambler, a Rambler, a Rambler from America, and we took that Nash Rambler and we drove all over Europe every weekend. We went to the Alps. We went to the the uh, Russian zone and the Allied zone in Austria. The, the, we we saw we saw things, and uh, and I developed a very deep understanding not simply of my American heritage but my European heritage, and this is something that lasted through my life and in my next segment i'll discuss further but any questions anybody would like to ask me about any of this and uh, some of my attitudes in terms of america and how do i reconcile the uh you know the struggle that we had with indians and do i think europeans were evil because of this and do i think that this puts us on the same plane as israelis no i don't i think it was a different time in a different era and uh You know, that we were made to hate That our media was taken over by this alien people that wanted to take over our society and have supremacy. That's my first segment. Okay,
0: Dave, thank you. Let's bring in some folks to see if they have any questions related to what you just discussed. Russ, do you have any questions related to what Dave just discussed?
2: Now, I know that uh, David Duke and, and others, A lot of Christian Zionists out there, I know Dave's not one of them, but there's more more Christian Zionists actually in favor of the genocide in Palestine than there are Jews in favor of it. And I wonder if David has ever stopped to consider the possibility that the Bible, which I think you believe is the word of God, is actually the word of a bunch of uh, pretty filthy Jews. If you... From what I've read, uh, you know, in the Torah, uh, planning all of the various, like this attack, but nothing Yahoo calls an attack like the one in the Bible against Amalek, where you kill all the women and children, Uh, you know, to me, and I'm wondering if David doesn't sometimes think that it's really not such a wonderful book, but actually a filthy book.
1: Okay, well... um... In fact, I planned on talking about some of this and some of my attitude toward this because it's very important, both religious and philosophical positions that we kind of have to examine, uh, whether a Christian or not. Uh, You know, it's very, very important to understand what Judaism is, what Christianity is, what Islam is, uh, and what the pagan religions of Europe were, uh, as well as the other religions around the world. It's very, very important. To, to get an understanding of these things. So uh, I've got t- two minutes here, so it's kind of hard to answer this question really fully, but I'll try. Um, I think, you know, yes, I think of every Christian at, has, at times, and everybody would admit this, has had doubts, questions. Everybody has certainly aspects. There were aspects of the Old Testament I read which seemed to conflict with me, with the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus Christ, of love and justice and freedom. And by the way, I don't think that Christ would have been in favor of pedophilia. I don't think he'd be turning his cheek to a pedophile. I think that he would, they would, he would take a, a cord, of, a, a, a cord of many strands, a bullwhip, or a, a cat of nine tails, to uh, the pedophile or the murderer or the criminal, the person with criminal. Criminalize even children, uh, just as he would the money changers and the temple. And so, as a Christian, I, I, I did see, uh, a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I just left that to God. I said, Well, I don't know. I really believed as a Christian, the, the epitome of my faith with Jesus Christ. And I think Jesus Christ taught justice, uh, he taught love. Uh, he taught a very, very uh, different doctrine, and I think the New Testament was, in fact, a new covenant. Um, so I, I, I'm not, I don't care if someone has a different attitude about the Old Testament or parts of it. Maybe I do, but the thing that I use as my barometer of faith and my principles of how I should behave as a person, as a Christian, are the teachings of Jesus Christ. That is the first and foremost And I do believe that he came and he rejected a lot of what people understood as the Jewish law, which I think was also a perversion of things. Uh, And he himself said, in fact, he said that I am the temple, the temple, like they're trying to rebuild today. That's not the temple is my body. The temple is me. I'm the temple that uh, that I am the way to God. I am the way to your salvation. And he didn't become uh, the vengeful, conquering, supremacist uh, Jew that the Jews wanted of him because they never adopted this this program of policy of love. When they said, love thy neighbor, they identified as a neighbor, as their fellow countrymen, their fellow Jews. So I think Jesus, in, in effect, I would think somebody could say that Jesus was uh, God, uh, expressing himself clearly so people understood that he did not believe that there was a special covenant between God and and Jews. There was a special covenant between God and uh, human beings and that every human being could have the salvation of Jesus. That's kind of a, a short answer to a long question, but we can go into any part of that you'd like. Are you
2: familiar with the verse in the Bible? I, don't, I can't cite the... The chapter and verse but it's where Jesus says I came I, I didn't come for everybody I came for the the circumcised you know he used that term meaning he, he, he came well there's
1: a place he came from he, he said he came from the Israelites uh, but he came from the Israelites but Israelite became in my opinion a different name or a different people than was represented by Jews in fact um, in fact the way that the Christian reads this is very clear in the New Testament. Uh, the, the most anti-Semitic book in the world, according to the Jewish elite, to Jewish history, Jewish historiography, uh, Jewish leaders, and the most hateful anti-Semitic book in the world is the New Testament. They hate the New Testament. They hate Christians. A good example is the Jerusalem Post has an article called, Is the New Testament uh, Anti-Semitic? It's written by Shmuel Boteach. He's one of these people that are supporting the genocide of the Gazans right now, by the way. And he says, yes, the New Testament has 450 passages that speak nothing uh, but hatred against Jews. It's not hatred against Jews. It's hatred of the evil that the Jewish religion had become and the Jewish leadership had become. The Jewish Pharisees who had the oral tradition that Christ hated so much. And that's really clear. I mean, and, 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 that's, and I think that's what Christians have adopted. I think some of the aspects of uh, uh, the negative aspects, I say, of some white treatment of some other people were, were actually accented by the Old Testament because of the fact that there are genocides. Now, I don't understand why there'd be genocides as a thinking person, as a man with a mind that God gave him. Uh, I can't look at every single verse in the Bible and say this verse in the Old Testament I agree with. Now, I agree with pretty much all of the New Testament, but even though over the years that with many, many transcriptions of the Bible where it was had to be copied one at a time by one person, many times copying it for days or years, and uh, sometimes people took liberties. And sometimes we see manuscripts in the same monastery that are quite different than the, master, than the manuscript was copied from. We can prove this because we can look at the older manuscript from which it was called copied from another person or even the same person, and it's very different than the one that came before. So I have to look at the Bible, and I look at the New Testament as, first of all, the first essence of my beliefs in terms of my Christian beliefs. And when I look at the New Testament, I look at the spirit that Christ was representing. And I think he had a spirit that was very, very different than any of the uh, genocides represented in the Old Testament, even though if, if a Christian still wants to try to explain that a different way or has a different interpretation of that according to their own particular Christian denomination or faith, I understand that and I respect that. I don't share that, but if they're loving Jesus Christ and if they love the principles and the, th- the teachings of Jesus Christ, you know, I consider them brothers in Christ, and I must say, I can be friends with someone, I can respect someone, I can treat someone decently, which I will do, whether they believe in in the Christian beliefs I believe, or they believe, in, or they don't believe at all, or if they're pagan believers, or if they're, uh, Islamics, or they're Confucianists, or if they're uh, Hindus, I I think that people have the right. Uh, to believe what they want to believe. I am a Christian, though, and I, I believe in Christianity, and I do believe that Western civilization is a Christian, a fundamentally Christian society. But my Christianity is going to be a little different than the Jewish interpretation of Christianity, which they're giving to the people in the movies and in their power over the evangelicals through the media and through uh, cable television and so forth, which is nothing more than... Uh, christian satanism it's it's talking about christian zionism as insanity it's it's absolutely evil and there's nothing more opposed to christianity and christians in the world than is judaism and the jewish elite in this Dave, world we, we got nothing we else now. more composed i will and nothing yeah. else more opposed to 99.8 percent of humanity which is the non-jewish part of humanity jews are opposed to all humanity, and they really don't consider non Jews, even humans, in terms of their sacred texts like the Talmud.
0: Russ, thank you. I'm going to take you out because there's people Thanks, knocking Russ. on the Thanks door. For the Come back in in about 10, 20 minutes. Listen to the show on Speak Free Radio. Thanks, Russ. Okay, we're going to take Russ out. Next question. No, uh, you are going into your next okay. oh, section. Fine.
1: Yes. Okay, well, let's do it. So I was saying that I was in 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 Europe, and I just developed this incredible connection with Europe. Well, I mean, we went to France. We went to Belgium. Uh, I remember uh, the Hague and going to the beach there in the summertime. It was so cold, and the water was so cold, but I loved it, you know. And I just loved all the aspects. I remember watching walking on the Gros Glockner. Uh, the glacier in Austria with my parents and looking at the beautiful ice caves that they have right in the glacier that you go into. We walked down into the glacier. I remember the mountains of the Alps, which was so inspiring to me. I, re- I remember, you know, I remember Vienna. I remember it was a Russian zone and they had a Russian tank on display. and uh, And I remember the fact that how the people of Europe, although they had such devastation in the Second World War, they were such great people. They had massive devastation, total poverty, and still, even in the early nineteen fifties, uh, they were still poor, as as could be evidenced by the prices. It was like a third world country. I remember going to a restaurant with my family in uh, Salzburg, at the top of the Munksberg, the where the castle is, and uh, and it's a ma- ma- magnificent thing. I've spent many many hours there and many many days there. I've I've lived in Austria. Ten, I lived in Austria ten years. And also, in, in the last uh, 30 years of my life, since I, well, 24 years, since 1999, I've spent more time in Europe than I did in America, except in the last three or four years, which I've spent almost entirely in America. Uh, I've spent it in Russia. I worked with the great Alexander Solzhenitsyn. And all along the way of my life, I, I got to develop, I kind of evolved in my ideas. Let's talk about my involvement with the, with, with the CLAMP. Okay. As a young man, uh, of 12 years old, and I can remember this pretty poignantly. My father was pretty conservative anyway. So he was very anti-communist and he understood, uh, back then that they were trying to overturn our way of life in the South, that they were going to forcibly integrate the schools. And with the massive black population in the country, when they do, when they did that, uh, Whites realized there were different standards in the black schools. There were different um uh there's also different levels of criminality and different other problems in society. The black community was actually a lot stronger uh then and the family was stronger then than it is now. But that was all being undermined by the so called war on poverty, uh the LBG. And that and by the way, we spent about twenty two billion on that. And that's by old money and not new money. But in today's money it's a lot more than that. And, but it didn't solve the problems of black poverty, didn't solve the problems of black criminality, it didn't solve what problems were in terms of the solution of the black family. It actually exacerbated all those things. So I came to believe at the ripe old age of 12, 13 years old, 13 years old was when I became more. Clear in my understandings. In fact, before that, because I read so much, I read Scientific American every week. I read natural history magazines. I read a lot of history. I read science and I read a lot of arguments saying that the races were the same and that, and that, uh, that we should have love and brotherhood with the races and things would be love and brotherhood if we just simply, uh, had integration of education and, and we just, uh, you know, didn't recognize or try to preserve our particular heritage and we could just get all along and love each other. And I wanted that. Uh, I didn't realize at that time that obviously that there's also the right of people to preserve their particular group from which they come from. And it's natural for people. It's natural for black people to be concerned about black people. It's natural for people of particular heritages to be concerned about that heritage, uh, their traditions, their values, their culture, it's totally natural and it exists all over the world. It's not racism when white people unless it's racism if every other people do it. And you can if you're gonna say that everybody's racist, then that's you know it's the norm. But racism is really described as people by the media, and I learned this very young, that as any white person that wanted to preserve himself and his people in his own country, that you were racist and you were horrible. And do you hate other people? Are you Wanted to oppress or harm other people. I didn't want to oppress anybody. Back when we had segregation in Louisiana and parts of New Orleans I lived in, uh, you know, we didn't encounter black much people. I mean, sometimes we would. And we treated them respectfully when we did. Uh, and when I had interactions uh, with our, our housekeeper, who took care of me a lot, you know, when my parents were out, uh, I loved her. I thought she was a wonderful woman. She was a good Christian, and I respected her. And she taught me a lot of really positive things when I was a kid. At the same time, I respected her, and she also, as a Black person, told me that she wasn't interested in integration, that she thought God made people different. She gave people with different characters, different, you know, views of skin, gave us different values. And that she loved her own people and she wanted to be with her own people. And she had no problem having restaurants for black people, or restaurants for white people, or schools for black people. In fact, she said she wanted to be around her own kind. And I asked her about that because I was told that, that the black people felt demeaned by that. She felt empowered by that. It was interesting when W. Dubois, who was a black communist who worked in the Jewish NAACP, which was a Jewish communist organization... And he originally adopted their program of integration. Later, he broke with, broke with the NAACP because he was more interested in black empowerment, black self-determination, black values, black culture, black preservation, black than he was about necessarily sitting next to a white kid in school. He was interested in black uh, values, and he later even went to Africa, spent a lot of time there, buried in Ghana, I believe and um And that shows you the difference. What I didn't understand and what I began to learn was that the people who were trying to change America, and I knew by the time I was 13 years old, that they were trying to replace the American people with non-European people, that they wanted to make American white people outnumbered and outvoted in their own country and change the character of the country, not to advance the interests of black people, Because, again, black people were less than 10% or any other race. In fact, Mexicans were even a smaller percentage. Not because because they were trying to advance black people, but they were trying to divide and conquer America and destroy and replace white people ultimately by opening our borders. Now, in the 1920s, we had the, the Act for Immigration Reform, where our ancestors said we want to protect the heritage of the country. Most people would want to do that, you know. Uh, most most people in the world want to, the Palestinians did of, of any people. Man, When the Palestinians realized that the British were allowing Jews to come in by the thousands, when Jews were only about 5% of the population of Palestine in the turn of the century, and they were coming in, they realized eventually that they'd be outnumbered And I'll And they realized these people were not going to settle for equal rights. Oh, no. They saw themselves as the elite, as the superior people, and they practiced Jewish supremacy. And by the way, the Jews were far different. Whenever they could try to compare Jews with white colonialism, it's ridiculous. You know, when whites did do colonialism in the New World or they did in in, uh, South America, Central America, North America or anywhere else in the world, it's interesting. They Missionaries came and came to bring in uh, the, their religion to the Natives and associate with them and help them. Billions and billions and billions of dollars and hundreds of millions of Europeans dedicated themselves to educating Black people are uh, educating Native Americans or educating these. Interesting. And to, and to improving their lives and improving their economy and respecting them, this did not take place in terms of Jews because they considered these non-Jews, it's just like they consider Europeans in Europe. They consider non-Jews to be not only inferior to them and uh, and really subhuman, and I hate to say that, not all Jews consider them that way, but I'm telling you that is a fundamental of Judaic, the Judaic religion of which I think Christ rebelled against. Christ drank after and with and supported the Samaritan woman. That would have been unthinkable in the Old Testament, because Christ was bringing us a new new doctrine. And Europeans were like that. And uh, so, I think Europeans were trying to survive themselves and have their own societies, but at the same time, I think they tried to be a benefit to all, including the other peoples, just like the the British people helped India to go forward in education, transportation, railroads, education, all these things. And they were a benefit overall to India rather than a, a, a detriment to it. Not that I don't think the Indians have a right to be free. They did. But I'm saying that that's very, very different than what the, what the Jews did with their horror and terror against the Palestinians. Because they didn't want to mix with them. They didn't want to convert them to their religion. They wanted to take their land, and they wanted to suppress them, and they did it.
0: Okay, Dave, thank you. I'm going to jump around because we have a a new person. And, okay. Um, so let's bring in Claire. Claire, where are you calling from?
3: I'm calling from the UK. Um, Mark Collett knows me. Oh, Claire, um, how are you? I don't know well,
1: you, but I know
3: you. of your name. Oh, so you it's a it's a familiar name I'm so pleased um, and i I hope it isn't too an uh, too unoriginal a question, but okay. have you been asked um what you would do if you if you were president of america? I think I've been asked
1: uh, a lot of times, especially when I was running for president. I ran in republican primaries, got some a lot of votes, even though they kept me out of the debates because they they knew I would win the debates. I got more votes than uh, many other Republican candidates did in these last elections. And in those elections, uh, I got more votes, for instance, in an election, you know, than uh, the black candidate, for instance, last election in South Carolina, got more votes in South Carolina than he did, uh, as well as other people. Chris Christie, I got more votes than Chris Christie got them, but he was allowed in the debates. And again, our, later on, of course, there's a different debates, but I, w- I got more votes than many of the other people in the Republican primaries and debates. Now, what would I do, you know, as president? Um, first of all, I say that European Americans have a right to preserve the European culture in America, the European people in America, that we have a right not to be purposely made a minority in our own country. And we have a right not to be outvoted and we have a right not to be terribly, uh, terrible victims, I must say, victims of Jewish hatred against us. Because we have a media that teaches our children to hate each other and ourselves, that, uh, that weaponizes blacks and other groups against white people uh tries to teach them how horrible we are when I don't think we've been that horrible and also is endeavoring to take away our rights they are taking away our free speech our fundamental rights of free speech is critical for any human right and they are taking away and they're discriminating against better qualified people now one of the one of the elements that I grew up with and I'll be talking about that in my next segment uh, that I grew up with I've always believed and I've always stated this, when I ran for office in every election, my campaign slogan was equal rights for all, special privilege for none. That was partially talking about the Jews, by the way, I must must tell you that, because they've always had special rights in the country. But I was also talking about affirmative action and discriminatory policies, which discriminated against better qualified white kids and white people in jobs, promotions, scholarships, uh, in all these different areas of life, military promotions, whatever you might want to say. And I think that that is morally wrong. I think the best qualified person, especially when you talk about taxpayer funded operations, even though white people disproportionately tell pay the lion's share of taxes, but but get. Don't get the lion's share of benefits. I'll tell you that for sure. When you look at the social welfare programs and the other programs. I mean, we basically finance the health care almost entirely of non-whites. I'm not saying that there are some non-whites who pay their share. There are, but we pay for the great bulk of white, uh, well, non-white health care. And, uh, and white people are struggling, you know, like, it's like medical debt. People that are on the welfare system or black people in America, basically, they don't have to worry about paying you know, medical debt. Where well, they really don't because they get everything free anyway. They already get uh, Medicaid, and there are some white people that get it too. I'm not arguing that's not true, but proportionally, it's entirely different. Uh, but the point is that white people face massive racial discrimination in hiring, and if racial discrimination, my belief, has been since the time I was a kid. And by the way, a lot of Republicans are talking about affirmative action now, a racial discrimination against white people. A lot of people are talking about critical race theory. A lot of people are talking about critical gender theory. All of these things. And I've been talking about these things my entire, before my adult life. I've been talking about with my friends and my schoolmates and my teachers since I was 13 years old. And... Um, so, what I would do is, I'd first of all I'd have equal rights for all. I'd get rid of the affirmative action. I'd stop the massive immigration. I'd deport those who are here illegally, right? And I would try to do it in a protective way. I'd try to do it in a fair way. In fact, I wouldn't just kick them out of the country, and you know, I wouldn't confiscate. It. I'd let them sell their property, and I would actually try to give them a heads up, some sort of a, a amount of money, so they could go back home where, where they came from. And where they could afford and, and by America, by the standards of what, what we could give them, which would be good for them and good for us, the standards we give them, they'd be like, they'd live like kings in their own country because the money is a lot, worth a lot more and the standard of living would be good. I would try to make sure that they weren't punished or harmed by that. Now, ones who were here legally, well, they're here legally and they're, uh, and if they've, if, if they've not been a detriment to the country in terms of criminality, if they commit a crime, criminality, you know, maybe that's a good reason to deport them. That, that may may afford a reasonable thing to do. But if, if, you know, we have to realize that our federal prisons, as, as well as our local and our other prisons, are full of illegal aliens. And so I would deport these people immediately. Uh, also, again, for those people who are trying to make a life, who have jobs and so forth, I would also try to make the resettlement their resettlement back in the countries from which they came to where they would have a benefit from their being here because we would give them some support. Because I, I believe it would been in our support in terms of keeping our uh, volatility as a country because, I, again, I believe every people has a right to preserve themselves. And, and I believe the British right, where you come from, have that right. I think the French have that right. The Germans have that right. And we right now have an intentional program of destroying every white nation on earth. Do you
3: think the problem is because America doesn't have an official religion and this kind of puts the American people at the mercy of Congress who can pass... And repeal any law, they can, you know, make marriage gay. They can do all kinds of things. Well, I see do you- they've
1: done that in Great Britain too, even though you still have the Church of, you know the Church of England. Um, I, you know, I, I agree with you that um, we don't have an official religion, and uh, and it's really underst- understanding. And this is one, and this is where I wanted to get to at some point today in the broadcast. And we're almost out of time in the first hour, but we got a few more minutes. Um, it's really important for people to understand that when I I joined the Klan, I joined as a patriotic Southerner. And the Klan was a respected organization in the South. There were many congressmen and senators who were members of the KKK. And that was in the North, too. Uh, Colorado had senators who were in the Klan. Minnesota had senators in the Klan. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, Indiana had uh, government officials in, in the Klan. And the Klan was an organization of legal and basically a law-abiding and a law organization. Now, my group was nonviolent. I was always, not only was I always opposed to violence and illegality or any sort of terrorism or any sort of cr- criminality against anyone, for that matter, but I even sanctified it you know, in the oath of my organization. We swore that we would not commit any illegal acts of violence against any minorities or anyone else uh we at heart, we are hardcore in, in terms of not uh allowing violence and that 's the last thing we wanted to us that was the greatest crime uh, someone could commit would be violent uh in in a bad way because that that hurts what our objectives are our political objectives our values and and what we represent ourselves to the public at the same time um, what i what I understood was is i came to realize and this was very early and i got to go way back to the time i'm 12 13 by time i was 13 years old i learned that the real problem the real in fact even a lot of the fundamental problems that we had in america were not simply the black population in america it was the jewish role in trying to weaponize blacks against white people and also They weren't really interested in improving their lives. They destroyed the black family by these, uh, by these programs. In fact, they wanted black to remain impoverished. They wanted black people to have criminality. Why did the, why did they want that? Because that's how you get a revolutionary kind of proletariat. That's how you're able to organize people politically to challenge, uh, the people who rule the country. And if you, if you divide people, for, I'll give you an example. Let's take is like an issue like abortion. A lot of white people oppose abortion. Right. Good. A lot of white people uh, are for abortion. Okay. Whatever. So these are issues that are important to people. So if we emphasize these particular issues, it used to be that abortion didn't, wasn't legal just about most of America. But when you have these positions and then you divide people on that one position, that divides the greater vote or the white vote. Whereas when black people and Jews who are much more motivated by what they say is Jewish interests, or even Mexicans for that matter, they get a collective interest for their people. The other issues don't really make as much difference. What's important to them, because they're being taught that whites are racist and they're evil people, so they are are used by the Jews as a weapon uh, politically and to tip elections. Just like in Louisiana. Uh, you know, black voting wasn't certainly as prominent until more recently. Now, with black voting, Louisiana, which is about a third black in most states, even though I got 65 percent of the white vote, I would have got elected. But I didn't get elected in Louisiana because we had a 34 percent black vote. But it was a black vote that was absolutely weaponized against me and white people in the state by the Jews. And they used every trick in the book and every sort of evil uh, process they wanted to do. So so the reason why I actually joined the Klan was, wasn't because I was against black people. No, I joined the Klan because I understood that there was a greater threat to black people, white people, all people in this world and in America from the Jewish supremacists who are beginning to take over our media, take over academia, take over our foreign policy, and uh, and using America as a golem, getting us involved in all these wars. And I came believe that came to believe that the last century, and almost a, and a quarter right now, have been Jewish wars, which were unnecessary because of Jewish power and getting us in these insane wars, which not only caused a lot of death to Europeans and a lot of cost to us, like $3 trillion in, in the Iraq war based on lies with all the entire Jewish neocons and neoliberals, because this was, these were... ...that the only organization that I saw, that's why I joined the Klan initially at 16 or 17, was the only organization I saw that was taking a stand openly talk about the Jewish supremacy, which was the real supremacy that was of a danger... Uh, to America and danger to the world, that if we didn't find a way to stop these wars and stop this destruction of the great values of Western Christian civilization, that not only would would our people suffer and be destroyed, which we are being destroyed right now, by the way, by our own government, well it used to be our government, but it's not ours anymore, that we're being destroyed by them. And when I came to that realization, I joined the only group Basically, that openly talked about the Jewish role. That's actually why I joined the Klan. It wasn't because I was opposed to black people. It was because I was certainly cognizant of the fact that Jews posed a huge threat to peace and to this world and to justice in the world, including the Palestinians.
0: Dave, let's. Uh, just, Claire wrote, a, wrote something in here, and let's okay. get to that before we go to the sure. top of the we hour have four break. Minutes. Yeah, she said. Um,
1: I think I expressed what, that pretty well does last I? You did. Points. I'm glad you
0: did. Uh, why keep blaming Jews when it is really about American military supremacy?
1: American military supremacy. I. The only reason. See, before the Second World War, we had a very small military. And we built up that military because of the Jews, because the Jews wanted war. Judea, in 1933, actually declared war on Germany. In fact, even in Great Britain, a long way from Germany, they have a big headline in the Daily Express, and it says, "You know, World Jewry, Judea, Judea declares war on Germany. That they're going to, they're working in every country of the world. Jews all over the world united, and they are powerful." in in banking. They're powerful in money. They're powerful in media. The New York Times was flourishing, which by the way, covered up the great crimes of communism. So when she talks about the American military industrial complex, this was created by Jews because first Jews wanted us in the First World War. And I've explained that many times historically. They want us in the First World War and they wanted a First World War. Because Jews all over the world were supporting the Bol- Bolshevik movement worldwide. They envisioned Bolshevism as a way for Jews to control the world. At that time, Zionism and world Jewry with the headquarters in Israel. Which Ben-Gurion, by the way, prophesized that Jewry would become head of the world Supreme Court. And all laws would emanate from Israel. And in Israel, a new United Nations would build a shrine of the Jewish prophets. I mean, this is... I mean, he actually envisioned in a prophetic section, which he wrote and which is published by Look Magazine in America, that Israel become the center of all mankind and and have a Supreme Court. Now all armies would be abolished, right? So, but they actually saw communism originally as their vehicle for control because they've always been tribalist. And Judaism itself is a religion of Jewish supremacy over the entire world. It's not even just dominion over the animals. It's dominion over all mankind. And Judaism itself creates all mankind as their enemy. Ninety that's ninety-nine point eight percent. And this is not just Jewish claptrap in what's called the Talmud. This the head rabbi of Israel was Rabbi Yosef, Odea Yosef. He did a sermon to all the Jews of Israel and the world, because he's like the leading, most important Jewish theologian of the world, kind of like the Pope is in the Catholic Church or the biggest Christian church. And he said, "Spoke quote, he said, um, quote, Gentiles, all Gentiles were made to work, to dig, to bind, to sieve, while Jews were made to sit and eat and Gentiles were made to serve their Jewish effendi, which means master. And he goes on to say, do we want Gentiles to, to live a long life? Yeah, just like we want a donkey to live a long life so he can be our slave. This is what, this is what the head Jewish theologian of Israel said. We had a Jewish uh, publication of the Day Times of Israel, one of the 10 biggest in the world, had an article by Mr. Leitman, who's part of the, uh, Benar, it was part of the Baruch, uh, sect, you know, and he said that all Gentiles are nothing but anti Semites. They're all Nazis and they're born that way. It's in their DNA, it's in their blood, it's, it's a fact of nature. And the only way we w- can prevent being a Holocaust again is by controlling all these Gentiles.
0: Dave, I got to do the top of the hour break. Hold on a second. Okay, okay folks, it's, it, it is uh, 7 o'clock Central Time. And this is Dave Gahari and you're listening to the Dave and Duke Call-In Show. And we are going into the second hour, and we're going to thank uh, Claire for her call. And, Claire, we're going to take you out of the studio seat, the hot seat, and we're going to bring somebody else in. So
1: please uh, hang, hang you, out. there and uh Hang out and we can get you back in for another question. Yeah, and I will I will go on a little bit more about your question for a second, but in my 10-minute, my first 10-minute opening for the second hour. You want me to start now?
0: You, uh, you want to take a, another quick call
1: and then start? No, let's just start. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so let's, let's go into some of our issue here. When you say the West or you say America, it's not the West – uh, one of the issues I have with John Mersheimer, he's what they call a realist, and he calls realism the idea that all these nations all want to do what's in their interest. Um, and, and we have to be realistic that every nation wants to pursue its own interests. Sometimes those interests can coincide with other nations, and we can work out good agreements that we should try to, and sometimes it doesn't. But he's got a completely wrong um idea here because when you talk about the states that exist in the world today we really talk about a it was a unipolar world for a good while after the second world war after the fall of communism the fall of communism took place because good Russian Christians actually overthrew the communist Jews who ran communism in Russia that killed tens of millions of Christians and others that's a fact. And when they overthrew the communists, uh, then suddenly Russia went from a favored nation status and peace and some even some agreements on disarmament to hating Russians. And instead of moving toward peace and disarmament and you know, arms control, which we were moving toward, we went the opposite direction. And uh, and that's you know the reality. The fact is that America is a conquered country. It doesn't seem that way, maybe to you, but it's not Americans who control our foreign policy. Heretz Magazine does it pretty good, or newspaper, when it talks about the neocons. A good article, a fantastic article, this is in Jewish media, because Jewish media can talk about this. Jewish media for Goyim in America can't talk about it, but they talk about the fact that these neocons Are all Jews. I mean, literally almost all Jews. And they changed history. And they brought us into war against Iraq. They called it white man's burden. And it was a tongue-in-cheek title in the article. Because it was saying that white men and white soldiers and white money had to go fight a trillion-dollar war against Jewish enemies, Saddam Hussein. Which was really not in the interest of America. And it was all based on lies, by the way. There were no weapons of mass destruction, which I said that and campaigned against this insane war all during the prior days of the war. In fact, that's one reason why I was prosecuted by the federal government. Newsweek magazine wrote a, uh, a piece on how that when I was going on Al Jazeera and other international media saying there were no weapons of mass destruction, which I was proven right, of course, later on, they worked hard to com- totally suppress my free speech as an American citizen, which is protected by the Constitution of the United States. The government of the United States went to these places like Algeria and all international media, and they said, if you have David Duke on, blah, 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 we're gonna, you know, ban you from America. We're gonna keep you from, you know, having anything on cable in America, this type of thing. And this was admitted in Newsweek magazine. And then later they came up with these you know, false charges on taxes, which is a thing of choice. Republicans have exposed the fact that they've used this against Republicans, and there's nobody they wanted to use this against than me. And ironically, even though I was charged with not paying my fair share of taxes, it turned out after the audit ordered by the judge in the case, after the audit, after I was sent to prison, the IRS said, well, we finished the audit, and Mr. Duke, you overpaid your taxes by six thousand dollars. You didn't falsify your taxes. so I mean, these are the things that go on because we have a, a Jewish system of injustice today, and that we look at what's going on in, the, in in the in the congressional for instance persecution of people being invited in by the police. You know, just walking into the Capitol, people serving years in prison—it's insane and it's evil and it's against freedom of speech. And as many times the Capitol's been invaded, the Capitol was invaded by armed, armed Black Panthers before they didn't serve years in prison. I don't think they served any prison. (laughs) But uh, it's like this is the realities of uh, American law and jurisprudence—they rule us. Uh, Elon Musk is arguably the richest man in the world. But if you take his one individual riches, he can't beat and he can't overcome the 25% of billionaires in the whole world, 25%, which is thousands of billionaires, right? 25% of billionaires who are Jews. And Jews are only one-fifth of 1% of the population of the world. But these Jews are organized in Jewish organizations fighting for Jewish interests. So that's how the system works. I can show you that, Eight of the nine biggest contributors to Joe Biden were Jewish Zionists. I can show you that there's two Jewish chiefs, chiefs of staff. These are the people who appoint his cabinet and direct his whole presidency and have him sign in whatever comes on his desk, whatever leaf that they drop on his desk <laughs> or leaf that blows in the window, um, that they actually uh, are able to get what they want. And that's why they got the Iraq war. That's why they got the Ukraine war. That's why they're supporting this horrific Jewish genocide against the Palestinian people in Palestine because of this power. It doesn't serve America. It hurts America. America is being dragged through the mud all over the world. People hate America all around the world because everybody knows that we are facilitating genocide. This is all true. And we also know that it doesn't do us any good to support these banker wars We know that the First World War cost 37 million. We know the Second World War cost at least 55 to 65 million, probably than 100 million just from those wars. We know 100 million people in the world were killed by communism. And we know that there is no religion and there's no group of people on this earth who are more racial supremacist, more racial, has more racial supremacy not just in Israel. And the supremacy that they exercise and the genocide that they're committing in Israel is not possible except for Jewish racism globally. And Israel itself says that that the diaspora is part of their population, just as they allow every Jew in the entire world to be a citizen of Israel because they consider it to be a global Jewish nation. And these people so many of them are not loyal to America or Canada or any other country. They're loyal to Jewish global hegemony. And they're willing to sell America, like Jonathan Pollard, the most damaging spy in American history, or to support the Jewish state, which is...
0: Dave, let's get, let's get to these calls. We've got to knock some of them out because we're okay, filling let's up. Do it. Okay,
1: Jimmy, go ahead, buddy.
0: Do okay. you, you have a question or comment about what yeah, Dave's been talking the, I'll about? I'll get
1: to the other aspect. Sure, Dave. Uh,
2: how, how you doing, Dr. Duke? Hey, bye, sir. Good. Um, I I got a simple question. First, I wanted to salute uh, Joe Rizzoli, you know, give my condolences to him. Me too. Cheers to Joe. Yeah, salute. Okay. Hey, Dave, how young do you remember you were when you started learning about the evils of Jews?
1: I'd say um, maybe even before I was 13, By the time I was uh, in my 13th year, I became very, very aware that Jews were behind, um, and I, in fact, even back then, there was plenty of evidence that the Jews said that their intention was to change the demographic of America. And in fact, in the, uh, in the late sixties, early seventies, they had a whole bunch of groups like the Permitter Institute, ADL, and they basically said they, they worked, by the way, against the immigration reform bill. In 1923, 24, right? And they, and these were, this was led completely by Jews and Jews in the Congress. And it was also led by Jews like the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society and these other Jewish groups and all of the major groups like American Jewish Committee all worked to open up immigration back in 1924. They didn't succeed. They didn't have enough power yet, but over the years they did. The New York Times obviously supported. Uh, it was definitely against this Immigration Act that was to limit immigration, but Jews were, were behind it. Now, this is nothing new, and it's so ironic they even tell us that this is a myth that Jews want to have this replacement theory for America and Europe. They openly admit it. The New York Times has headlines. We can replace them. You know, they, there was a major story by Cohen, New York Times, when they were opposing Trump, right? And they said, you know, that Trump's a defeat was a defeat for white America, and they're bragging about a defeat. These people are racist against white people. So just realize, folks, it's not that they uh, are racist against just Palestinians. The reason why the Palestinians are suffering now is because without the Jewish control over the American government because of their racism here and their power over media, and their power over campaign financing, they wouldn't control the American industrial complex. And it's not even an American, uh, so-called industrial military complex. It's not. I can show you the, the 20 top contributors, the 20 top contributors to Clinton when she ran against Trump. Like I'd show you the top contributors of Bud. Overwhelmed 90% of them are Jews. of the population. And these are billionaires. These are people contributing millions of dollars to him. Millions of dollars to her. Millions and millions. These are the people. It's the billionaires that get invited to the White House. It's the billionaires that get appointed to ambassadorships. It's the billionaires that give money that that count. And Jews completely control the American political system. And APAC is only a small little tip of the iceberg. Because it's not APAC that gives out the money. But ACAP APAC has the list of the Jewish billionaires, who they know they can contact with a phone call. They can give more money to any individual candidate than they can give to all the candidates that APAC gives or any other lobby can give. And the Dave, Dave, we got to move on. We're, okay, we're, okay, Jimmy, thanks, buddy. Okay. Jimmy, I'm going to take you, you want out. Let me to go to my yeah. next segment now.
0: Yeah, no, I'm no, going to no, take no. you out, Jimmy, because there's yeah. a bunch of people coming in. So listen on SFR and then come back in in like 15 minutes.
1: Yeah, no problem. Okay. That's okay. my next segment. Let's go ahead. Okay, start. go for it. Okay. So here's my evolution, folks, my true evolution. Okay. My whole life, I feel like I've grown. And I think a wise person, as they get older, they realize that they don't know what they know at 20 years old that maybe they knew at 10. They don't know at 30 what they knew at 20. They don't know at 60 what they knew at 50. We're always learning, and people who are inquiring are learning. And I had a few epiphanies in my life. And one of the epiphanies that I had was, and this is early on now. I mean, this is even in my Klan days. Even when I was in the Klan, I was a nonviolent clan, but not a single person was ever arrested or charged with any offense against any minority. That's a fact. And I was a voice against violence continuously in the entire right wing because I know that's exactly what the Jewish opposition wants because that's the way they can discredit us. When the truth is we were really talking about true equal rights, but also The natural idea that every people has a right to preserve themselves, their heritage, and their values. And every people in the world, you know, endorse the principles that I endorsed during my early days of my life. And the Klan was like a patriotic American group, just like whatever groups the Palestinian Authority or whatever the groups were, the Palestines, or whatever whatever the people were of Germany or whatever the people were of Italy who were truly patriotic to the Italian people or any country, or to Europe, or to Russia. The Russian people rose up and deposed the Jewish oligarchs and the power in that country. They did it twice. They took out the Jewish communists that killed tens of millions of Russians. They killed 7 to 11 million Ukrainians. They killed 22,000 Polish army officers, the cream of the Polish army, in the beginning of the Second World War, but they were never punished for it, right? Um, they, they raped millions of women, Germans and Poles and all other people's In the second world war, which were, which were egged on by their Jewish Ilya Ehrenberg, who was their head of propaganda. And there was Jewish commissars that ran the, the, the the Bolshevik army, the, the, the Soviet army. These are the realities of life, right? So I began to realize something. First off, I knew from the very first days, that I was certainly opposed to forced integration, which I think was hurt, hurtful, both for black people and white people, and not good. I would destroy our educational system. I was opposed to massive immigration, which I know would be devastating to America, of our economy and so many other aspects of our society. I knew these wars were so destructive of us. And, but I, And I realized, though, the black people weren't the source of these problems. And black people didn't even control the systems by which destroyed their families. Or uh, are the incredibly uh, immoral music that the Jewish movie masters did promoting to black people gangsterism, drugs, uh, come on, drug dealing. I mean, this is real. And even the movies, black exploitation movies, I call them, right, where they... They told black people, well, the way to, to make money is to be a drug become a drug dealer. I mean, you can't make these things up, folks. The well, Jews didn't help blacks in, in this country. In fact, they needed blacks to be poor and angry against white people, for them to accomplish what they wanted to, to get a black bloc vote and as as a way to extort and change the political landscape. And they wanted to change the composition of America and Europe. And they openly talked about this. Perlman Institute, for instance, had a big thing where they said, you know, we worked diligently to ensure by changing the demographic of America that no white, racist, anti-Semitic power could come to power in our country. And again, everything they were concerned about was not really black and white issues. It certainly wasn't rights for black people. They were doing this. They were changing the demographic. It's because they wanted supreme power in America. And they wanted to use a divide and conquer the same way they tried to the divide and conquer Lebanon, which they did. And they tried to even, uh, do terrorist activities against the Christians with Muslim groups they infiltrated and against, uh, uh, against Muslims by Christian groups they infiltrated, like the massacre at Sabre and which was orchestrated by the Israeli army. They also supported the rise of ISIS and, and you know, Al Qaeda. This is fact. I mean, this is no argument here, folks. Israel supported ISIS. I can show you the headlines from Israeli papers. Ma'am, the, the very nice lady, Claire, you got to understand, the reason why you had ISIS and get some, got some beheadings in your streets and attacks in these theaters is because Jews in America supported the rise of ISIS against their enemies in Syria. Jewish power is the most important fact of life. I realized this at 12 years old, 13 years old. And that's why I joined the Klan. Later, I left the Klan because the Klan was always associated uh, with racial issues that I didn't necessarily agree. Am, yeah. Am I, am I proud of my heritage? Do I want to preserve my heritage? I think every Palestinian does. I don't think Palestinians want to be wiped out. I think every people in the world do. Every, the Indian peoples in, Amer- in the Americas of different tribes, they do. The the people of India, Gandhi said, "India for Indians." I understand that, and you cannot compare hundreds of year ago policy. America was invaded by Genghis Khan, who had an empire in Europe. America was invaded by the by the Saladins and you know by the, the uh, by the Muslims long before the Crusades. By the way, even America, Europe was invaded. Look at Sicily, look at southern Italy, look look at the Iberian Peninsula in Spain. I mean, don't tell me about American colonialism. Don't tell me about the fact that white people are somehow some sort of evil. The difference between what white people do when they did expand around the world with their great numbers and their great abilities and and, uh, and incredible gifts, scientifically and otherwise, they also tended, ultimately... To make life better for people in the world and to promote education. Even Alexander the Great did that. And most people in the Middle East and in, in Asia, even in India, remember are the historically the days of Alexander the Great. And they think he brought a lot of peace and justice and uh, a peace to the land because they stopped the warring tribes. And they actually, it helped uh, certainly some of the development of India. This is a way of what, what Jews are doing to Palestinians right now to to white people or even apartheid in South Africa, which was also a program of separate development, equal development. And the idea that every people in what was South Africa, which was a big territory, that every people had a right to determine their own destiny and their own future by their own will and their own, their own domination in their own lands. That's what apartheid really was uh, and, and in fact it's really strange because Dave, Dave, we have to get to they say apartheid is good for Israel right for an all Jewish state then and all I mean uh, it's they, they, they rejected any sort of separation in America which blacks liked you know Marcus Garvey and all the blacks liked and white people like they rejected that for America or for Europe or for anywhere else right but they supported it for Israel even the two-state solution was truly apartheid if you think about. it. So see you later. Dave, we got
0: uh, somebody here. I I don't know if you know him. Frank Da Silva. Does that ring a bell?
1: Yeah, no, Frank. He's a good guy.
0: Okay, here he is. There's Frank. He has a question. He jumped
1: ahead
0: ahead of the line.
1: Hey, brother. How are you doing?
4: I'm doing fine. Listen, uh, I just wanted to just cut in, say hello, give you kudos. Uh, You know, you've been quite a stalwart um, protector of our liberties, Dave, and we're all very appreciative. But I had two... Two questions sure one one was um, if you can look back over your life and God only knows you've had a very very you know interesting life but what would be the one thing actually what would be the two most important things that you would change tactically or strategically ie in your political world and your you know your your evolution as a man Considering all of your, your life cycle, your career, what two things would you change if you could, Dave? Well, there's one problem with someone who's
1: super honest <laughs> and, and, and who really wants to always say what he thinks about every yeah. subject. And um, I, I would say that answering that question, like one of the things that I would change if I I can't change it, and by the way, I'm not ashamed of it, but if I would change it, I wouldn't have joined a group called the KKK. Okay. My experience of what the Klan was, this history of it, was a traditional American patriotic movement. Uh, Just like you have movements, whether in Greek, uh, the the Greek nation or any nation in the world or in African countries that are patriotic for their people, whether it's against colonialism or any other thing. America has been colonized, but worse by the Jews. We've been taken over. I mean, even in the New York Times, David Brooks says, quote, you know, uh, I gave a speech and this woman came up to me. I knew she was Jewish. She knew I was Jewish. And she says, you know what you're talking about, the takeover of the American elite? You're talking about the takeover of America by the Jews. And he admitted in his own column in the New York Times, which is a totally Jewish publication as well, but it doesn't come with a warning label like cigarettes does, right? They don't tell people that the New York Times has been controlled since 1895 by Jewish supremacists and Jews that support such as the, the horrors in Palestine today, you know, and Zionism and communism, by the way. The New York Times is a big supporter, In fact, they covered up the the uh, Holocaust of uh, Ukrainians called the whole of the Moor. Yeah, and, right. and they've got 19000 references, you know, on Google to hold the more. And you got five million references, six million, rep- 60 million references to the Holocaust. And the, and the reason why six
0: million, Dave, six million was.
1: right, Yeah, whatever. Yeah. So that's exactly no. right. So, I mean, so think about that, folks. So the whole de Moore, which leading historians of the world, and this can be documented easily, you can even look on they admit that uh, that most of the major historians of the world that studied it said the death toll went from somewhere between seven and eleven million. That's by any measure bigger than the Holocaust of Jews. But you don't hear about it. There's no movies about it, there's no memorials about it, there's no combination of Jews, yet the whole de Moore was specifically led, the Eichmann, so to speak, if you want to talk about Eichmann as the Holocaust, you know, uh, architect. The Eichmann of the Hold'em was Alexander Kaganovich, the first Jewish head of the Communist Party in Ukraine, later became deputy premier under Stalin. Stalin married his, his, you know, his Jewish wife, which was his sister. And this is the guy that orchestrated the purposeful, you know, genocide of Ukrainians to lessen their resistance to the Soviet cause in the 1930s. So later the the the, the heroic Russians overthrew uh, the Jewish Bolsheviks.
0: Dave, so the KKK was one thing you wouldn't have done? What, is there anything? What's the second thing?
1: Um, I don't know. I, I think maybe I would have tried to uh, – uh, do better in my marriage, uh, that which didn't work out. Um, there's other things that I, you know, and I, I, you know, I've certainly done many, many things. Can I jump in real quick? That I would change. Yeah.
4: Go ahead. Yeah. Listen, uh, I wanted to be more specific. Um, when I watched you run for the Senate, I believe, in Louisiana. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of shenanigans going on. And I'm asking you this question specifically about the the, the power plays that were going on in the back. And this yeah. the, the answer should be interesting to a lot of the young men that are considering running for political office or what have you because the machine that attacked you, I remember watching, I believe it was President Bush Sr., right, that oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. said a lot of, you know, crap about you, right? Oh, yeah. And, and the entire machine. So if you could go back in time and anticipate some of these moves that the system would bring against you, what would you do different to extricate yourself from that web? Well, that's really hard to say
1: because I I do think that there's always a pragmatic, pragmatic, I should say side of any political approach and there's also a fundamental approach. So I do believe that the values, the fundamental things that we say and we do must be immutable. But I also believe tactics can be flexible. It's just like the whole Trump thing. There's a lot of things I disagree with on Trump. I really got sick to my stomach listening to Trump on the whole Gaza uh, genocide. At the same time, sometimes we need to make a pragmatic decision and, and know if someone will be more helpful to our general cause for our liberation and freedom and future for our children and survival as a people, uh, then different alternatives. But because even if we vote or we don't vote can have a big difference or make a big difference. Those votes that we do cast for or against or whether we vote or we don't vote can have a big impact. Everything we do can have an impact on reality. And the truth is, just like in the last election, there's some people I know in the in the cause and the alternate right that uh, that stayed out of it. Even said some people said, shockingly, they vote for Biden. That didn't do us any good. We've had six million illegal aliens pour into this country in the in the past, you know, almost three years now. Six million. That's going to have huge costs in lives of our people in future days and the future struggles for our freedom in this country. It's not that we can't necessarily win, but it's not going to make us any more willing to fight or better to fight uh, than if we had had a little more time to prepare. Uh, also, Donald Trump did some good things. He talked about the, um, well, he talked about the lying news media. boy, I haven't heard any politicians say that stuff, right? The fake news media. Uh, that was beautiful. And we know who runs the fake news media. Also, I'm, I'm thinking this about Trump. Uh, I can't stand his son-in-law. He is nothing more than a Jewish supremacist, uh, guy, murderous guy in a real sense, supporting, uh, Rabbi Schneerson along with his disgusting wife. And he was in the White House and Trump should have never had him there. Trump himself has said that was the biggest mistake he said he had. I hope he corrects that next time. But I think that Trump is saying this Trump has to give lip service to Jews. In fact, he probably wouldn't have elected. But at this point, all Jew we know all Jews, all the Jewish power structure hates them. They might try to give him some money by some voters, like Adelson's uh, old wife, right? Uh, they might try to give him some money as an insurance policy, but I think they know now that Trump has got to know. That guy knows that they are trying to put him in prison for the rest of their life. They're trying to destroy his family economically, destroy the empire he worked all his life to build, uh disgrace him in every way. I mean, this whole thing with the Carroll case, for instance, with a Jewish judge, Kaplan, and then Carroll, she's Jewish too, by the way, and then her, her attorney was, was a, a Jew, and they were all connected in the law firm. So, I mean, Trump has to know that all the leaders and all the efforts of this Russian inclusion lies were all Jews, and he's got to know that he's betrayed by the Jews. And I have a feeling, I hope, at least I entertain this hope inside, I pray and hope this. That if Trump does get elected again, it's no more Mister Mister Nice Guy. I think he's going to exact some revenge, in some way, in some fashion.
0: Dave, we got to move to the next caller. He's, We're he's backed Jewish up. Jewish
1: elite who are destroying our people.
0: Frank, hang out, buddy. We'll get you back. So on. I don't
1: know if that's going to happen or not, but I know one okay, thing. Okay, Frank. Thanks. I don't man. need another Jewish regime, with right. under Biden destroying Absolutely. this country and open the border. Again. <clears throat> let's let's
0: uh, bring Michael in. Michael, go ahead, buddy.
3: Yeah. Hi. Hi, Dr. Duke. Um, So do you think, uh, all right, with the Jews destroying America as they're doing now with all the stuff going on and the Federal Reserve collapses, is that the end of their
1: power or do they bring it to the Belt and Road over to China and then they side with China? That's where where the center of power is going to be after the demise of uh, America. I don't think so. I don't think China is anywhere part of the equation. And I think that's one of the big mistakes of people like Tucker Carlson and others uh, talking about China. China has really historically never really been about conquering the world, frankly. Yeah, they had, a, they had a few emperors that did pretty well in China, but they've never been like, you know, the Jews are. The Jews have always had this, I mean, Judaism itself was a doctrine from its very earliest days about totally controlling rule. And, and ruling the world—that may sound weird and crazy—but these, that's what these radicals really believe in. And all these—they have a lot of Jews now and other non-Jews who are talking about this. I think China is—I don't think they want to conquer the world. I think they want to trade with the world. Uh, they know that they can be a productive. But my, my question is that after the parasites, so no, I don't. I don't think so. Dry. I not I, I think the. I think the the, the Chinese. Where do they go? Where does the parasite go after they suck well, the I think, dry? Well, I think, well, a good place, they'll probably be going to things like, place like South America as things get bad. Certain areas of South America, they're a little better. Uh, but I think they're losing out right now. I mean, the, there's, there's a huge non alignment. Uh, you know, we've had this, first of all, we had a, uh, a multipolar world, right? And then we, then we had America, Germany, Soviet Union, except British Empire, that type of thing. Then we had, uh, after the Second World War, we had a bipolar war. We, we had a Russia uh, and communist regime, and we had America, which was the other side of the equation. Then as Jews began to lose power in Russia, they started shifting against Russia. Even before the Russians had overthrown the uh, vagaries of communism, you know, the symbols of communism and the principles of communism. When Russians started by the 1950s, they started talking about the murders of Christians. They started legalizing the Christian church again. This is a big change. And, uh, and China realized that the Jewish Bolshevism that was brought to China was not going to work in China. And they, beg- they, they began to develop private property and, uh, and they just didn't have hardly any Jews in China. The Jews just could not fit into China. It was just too much of a difference uh, racially, and there are not enough Jews to control it. Uh, so China moved toward Russia. China moved toward Iran, which is against the Jews. China is now moving in some ways against Israel, too, by the way. Uh, they just recently, uh, along with BRICS, uh, these BRICS com- countries, right, they're going against the American dollar. And, which is the Jewish dollar, if you really want to talk about it, because that's been used to defraud the whole world. And they're supporting Iran. And I don't think that they're, they're going to let Iran go down. And they also understand that they, that the only way that, 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 you know, the right now, Dr. Slattery puts it this way. He describes it very colorfully. He said, the Jews are riding, you know, the, the, uh, the zombie corpse of America, right? Uh, to world domination, and uh, they are. But the Jews are plotting, really, if they control the media of the world, the technology of the world, and they they control robotics, and they control all the media of the world, that they can ultimately infect the world and control the world along with certain key positions of power. They can maintain this powerful American military and maybe even increase it and increase also, the evil that they want to do, because I think that they're going to also make viruses that are going to be racially uh, targeted. Uh, and that includes non-Jewish, you know, non-Jewish uh, viruses that won't affect Jews, only will affect non-Jews or affect certain races, like perhaps our people or Chinese or anybody else. I think Jews see Chinese as a real threat to them because the Chinese are smart people. They're certainly not Jewish, and it's, pertin- it's, it's, it's perfectly o- obvious what the Jews are doing in terms of global supremacy and global hegemony. It's not America anymore. It's not Britain. It's not France. It's not the IU. It's basically Jewish power that's now against the rest of the world, which is China, Russia, and the BRICS countries. It's a Jewish yeah, thank stupid. You,
4: Thanks,
0: right, Michael. Thank yeah, okay, bye. buddy. Thank you. That's what I believe. All
1: right, Let's get uh, Robert in. And by the way, I I need to make one more last quick comment. Yeah, yeah. That a lot of people, uh, you know, I I know that there are legitimate conspiracy theories, but a lot of people, we get constantly in the right or in the more conservative elements and the more anti-Jewish elements, we constantly are told that uh, the the Jews control everything and they're going to control everything. So there's nothing. and, And to me... That's like war propaganda. It's exactly what every war does. The country tries to say to the other country that your leaders are bad. We control everything anyway. So there's no use to fight because you can't win.
0: They try to demoralize you.
1: Yeah. So I think it's really important to understand that there are countries that are resisting this Jewish power. Russia is certainly one of them. I'm convinced of that. They don't do everything right. I understand they're putting back the vaccines. That's terrible, right? But a lot of countries are fooled as well because the jewish such control over the international media and that's the power they have over google and the power they have over the biggest media of the world right. dave let's get and, to and, uh, the calls, and that's cause... that's the greatest danger but i think russia and china aren't you know understand that the jews are a threat to all yeah. of humanity jews look at chinese you look at russians they look at europeans africans all the same they're non-jews and they're right. subhuman exactly. and they have a right to
0: rule no. they're human actually the jew is not human okay there you. Let's hear you, Robert. Come on. Let, let me hear that new computer, Doctor Duke. Can you hear me? Yes. Good. Um,
1: You're coming Mark in. clear, my friend.
0: Mark. Mark college's friend just did. Um, got uh, sentences for hate speech or something like that. Yes. Um, do, do you think it's it's fair to say it's hate speech to support massive immigration that will eventually end European civilization?
1: Do you think it's fair to
0: call that hate speech?
1: I think hate speech is real. And I think hate speech is Jewish speech, the control of speech by the Jews globally against Europeans, against Russians, against Chinese. There's a lot of anti-Chinese stuff going on, let me tell you. And against against the world that's trying to resist their tyranny. And there's so many threats on the horizon to us because they are really envisioning a tyranny, a dystopian tyranny. I mean, eventually they want to implant chips in our brain. And I don't know if, I don't think, uh, Elon Musk is part of a labor conspiracy either. I think he knows that there are some ways that we can have memory better or something or access to certain things like, like people who are crippled can walk with a chip in their head. Or if they're crippled and they can't or they, uh, um, they, they have no, uh, the quadriplegic, uh, that they can move, they can do things, they can, they can actually write books with their mind and go to the chip. And, but, uh, but there is great danger because I can see in a time. Dave, what about the do, hate
0: speech? The question on hate well, speech. That's,
1: well, that's what I'm getting to. And, and the true hate speech is their speech. And the hate speech is really about doing everything they can to destroy us and weaken us. They have are destroying us with the chronic diseases that that plague us through their control of big farmer, which is bas- basically controlled by Jews. The new uh, drug azempia uh, what, what, they, what they call it azempia something like that on diabetes is a horrific drug, and uh they they really are making lots of money and they want us to be sick, they want us to get old, they want us to get alzheimer's uh, they want us to become uh human kind of slaves and robots to them. And it's a real threat to all of us, the technologies that are being, because now they can follow us like no other system in the world. They can listen to everything we say. They can track us. They can even do their publicity or their AI in a way like Elon Musk says they're using AI to lie to us. And they are. I've been doing my own experiments without proving it.
0: We we got to we got to go to the next call. Thanks, Robert. We'll try to get okay, you back. I gotta, in. I only got to go baby.
1: back to my narrative too. Well,
0: let's we got to knock out some of these calls because they've been in here for a long no, time. I
1: mean, we've got three or four. No, there just no One, yeah, one more, we're, and then I'll go back.
0: We're, we're running out of time. One more. Okay, Goose, go ahead, buddy. You got the floor.
4: Yeah, I'd like to. Uh, I'd like to uh, give mine to my elder Frank De Silva. You can just pass me along. Okay, buddy. Thanks, okay, man. well, I lo-
1: All right. right. So let me give
0: All him right. my. All right, go minute. ahead. No, here All he is, Frank. Go ahead. Goose, goose passed uh, passed his chit over to you. So, yeah, you've thank got, you kindly. Thank, thank
4: you kindly, everybody. Gary, I wanted to just say something to you. Heads up, um, I'm using uh, StreamYard to do uh, live X's, but this is really a nice format, brother. You're doing really good. Oh, thank you.
0: I'm gonna forgive you for calling me Gary.
4: Okay, oh, so let sorry. me do one of my... Phones. That's David. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't care.
0: Happens all the time. Go, Go ahead. ahead, man. Go ahead. You, you got the floor for Dave.
4: Um, yeah, just one thing, Dave, and that is um, what would you, looking back uh, historically, you know, you've become like a pretty well-known historian and um, people look up to you on that score because you have a more moderate understanding uh, and broad understanding of history. So when you look at the last 50 years of our experiences, right? what would you advise our young men going forward? What opportunities do you see for them? And um, what avenues should they stay away from going forward?
1: Well, I think they should stay away especially now of any sort of uh, illegal or violent activity because we're really in a battle. that's going to make the difference in this world. We're in a battle for the mind. And, if we lose our people's heart and mind napoleon said it right that the physical uh the mental is the physical is 3 to 1 and that's true of every army it's true of every people and what we've really got to concentrate on is getting the message out the truth out on these critical subjects like uh jewish power so that's that's where we are and uh, and that's what I suggest people do. it also to say to people and the young people, uh, don't join the army, for God's sakes. Don't go anywhere near the army. Uh, you know, don't go kill. Be killed in these Jewish wars. Uh, join the Navy. <laughs> what you right. got to do, folks, right. is uh, make yourself successful. Okay. And, and that's and that's hey, thanks, Frank. Do. And strong strong physically strong and mentally strong now let me go to my final narrative well
0: dave before you do that before frank thank you buddy yeah, thank we're, you. We're, we might be able to do a lightning round but if I'll not what, please come back next week all right i'll do Thanks, a, frank.
1: i'll do a narrative for dave
0: dave, dave. dave listen we got this, this is how we're going to do it okay because it's okay. quarter off. okay i said we okay. one
1: we'll, we'll go <clears> ten we got, minutes even no, like no 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 Listen
0: we got one more call. The guy's been waiting here since the show started. All We're right. going to take that call, and then it's all yours.
3: Okay, go
0: ahead. Okay. Daryl, where are you calling from? Uh, come on, I know who this is.
3: Hey, it's Richard here. How I know it. That's hey, why Richard. I said that. Oh, I was to go get ahead, buddy. Here we go. Well, i make the most. Thank you very much, um, uh, David Duke and David Horry. Another um, interesting show, um, Richard.
1: No. Good and interesting oh. show.
3: It was, it was. Um, I wanted to ask you a question regarding uh, certain documents which have been uh, going around the internet recently about uh, population reduction for 20, 2030. I mm-hmm. believe the UK's population is supposed to fall by 70%. I believe America's is going to be roughly around the same figure, 85%, 90%. Um, and it seems to be a kind of like almost a mass culling event. Um, I don't know whether these documents are known to you uh i i believe it's the sources uh, you know referred to either the united nations uh but there's other um, you know more local documents relating to either you know uh councils states and um you know federal governments in in the case of america uh, have well, you come across the tool and what do you think yeah i've
1: it? seen it and i've 've read about it and investigated it a bit and here's my frank view on it um i i really don't think that there is a secret government of the world that controls everything, I think there are think tanks I think there are efforts to control policies in the world. I think there are Jewish long term planning and even planning of Israel and for Israel and the entire diaspora of Jews because Israel says all Jews are part of Israel, and I think that's how they view it and uh, but i I don't think that all this is like planned out in uh, in, in granite or something. I think there is obviously a lot of opinions and there they can be self-fulfilling prophecies. And maybe they can intend it to do this. But there is certainly look at what uh what so many of these Lee Fauci and these other people have stated and Bill Gates and all these other Jews, uh, that we're gonna be having world epidemics, or world uh tragedies, and we're gonna have some, you know, uh life-threatening issues. That's going to go on. So this is kind of like a based on a model, or based on these these ideas. That just as we had this breakthrough of these viruses called COVID nineteen, whatever you want to call them, or whether they're viruses or whatever, is not really the point of the show today. But it's like they they also are thinking there is going to be more, and maybe there'll be more released. Uh, I don't know, but I I just think this is primarily just kind of getting people ready for the ideas. Uh, to accept more lockdowns and more horror stories, and that's that's my principle. I don't think it's written in stone. I don't think there is going to be necessarily any population drop. We're already supposed to have gone down no. two or three feet in the uh, in, in sea levels, you know. In turn, or we're supposed to be yeah, going under the water two or three feet on most of the coasts. So, uh, so that's it.
3: I mean, you mentioned it wasn't cut in stone, Doctor Duke. Uh, I, I wanted to ask following up that uh, uh, initial question with um, the My Georgia tradition. Guidestones, which yeah. were blown up, I believe, in 2022, uh, July, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Oh, um, I'm a
1: crazy woman.
3: Well, yeah, and like, but I'm guessing that that was, given that it did mention population reduction, I think it was like 500 million or was it, for, um, I think it was a certain figure that they they uh, they wanted it to keep at.
1: Um, well, there were always, uh, there's always Yeah, some yeah that's people. what it was, 500 million. There's, e- there's even right. eugenicists that have suggested that we do much better with the smaller worlds population uh but of course again it it's people have all these theories about things mm-hmm. and they think they got an answer for the world that i don't think the guys get any power that he that his prediction has any reason to come true okay
3: uh, yeah I understand.
1: so so i those those kind of things i just don't worry my mind about i worry my mind about maybe preventing second Our third world war, which we have a real good chance of right now, that's a real threat to the existence of humanity. Uh, It is a threat. Uh, I think that the next great super weapons, which is going to happen in a war, because it can be done by any college graduate who studies biology, uh, Mm -hmm. the next weapons that's going to be employed are massive uh, viral-type weapons, are toxic-type weapons, uh, that can be transferred and uh, transmitted and can destroy whole populations, uh, of a certain genetic, uh, of certain genetic markers in them. And Israel has been making that since 19, 18, oh, excuse me, 1998. That's according to the, I think the London paper, the big London paper, London Times. So, um, that's what I think I, I'm more concerned about these times, uh, than these other issues. And I think they could certainly, do that. And I think that if Israel, I, I don't think Israel will go down like, uh, Scott Ritter tries to say that the, the end of Israel is coming. I think Israel will be dedicated to taking us down first. They'll be willing to cause some sort of crisis or some sort of, um, mass, uh, murder, some sort of mass destruction, uh, to take the issue off of Israel. Uh, and to lessen their, uh, vulnerability. That's it. I'm going to go to my close now. And sure. Dave, okay. very I, much. I tell you what, Dave, if it's okay with you, I mean, it's now 50. I got 10 minutes for the end of the show, a little bit, a little bit before that. I'm just going to close the show with an impassioned 10 minutes to fi- finish my narrative story. I missed my last narrative Of course, anyway. Dave. Are we going to
0: do the after show show?
1: Uh, with a Still timer a few minutes, for, t- for t- with you there, too, for 10 minutes. Yes. Right, and- I already
0: ate, so okay. That's cool. I'm not going to go away. Okay, so okay.
1: let me give my final narrative here for the okay. show. Okay, go ahead, Dave. Okay. So here's the facts, folks. I've evolved in my life, and my thinking has evolved. And I realized today a lot of things I didn't understand as a young man. And I realized today that you catch a lot more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. And I do believe that most of the people in the world, for some reason, have some sort of innate sense of justice and what's right. And even even the people of Uganda, right? I mean, that's... A very primitive country toward most European countries in terms of education, in terms of income, in terms of literacy, all those things. But the country of Uganda, they gave a big speech in the United Nations the other day about how wrong it is to destroy young women and young men, destroy their bodies and, uh, say that there are not, not such thing as men and women, that that's just a uh, gender construct. I, th- I think. That um, the way that we have to reach out to the world right now, and we do, because we are going to be a country, by the way, that has huge demographic issues. If we have a civil war, uh, it may not turn out the way we want it to turn out. It would be better for us to come come to an understanding with other people and point out to them who the real enemy is of our society is, and that's the Jewish supremacists who control the media, who are taking away free speech, who are trying to destroy all mankind and all the freedom of mankind and trying to create a global hegemony. And they're willing to douse this world in war and oppression and take away every sort of liberty and human right that you can imagine. I do believe that freedom of speech is the most important right of all. And that's because without freedom of speech, and that's why our founding fathers put it as the First Amendment. You know, they didn't put it about some law about genocide or murder was the First Amendment. They put freedom of speech. Because without freedom of speech, they can get away with mass murder. They can get away with mass incarceration. They can get away with any crime. And I think that this is what they're moving to, the control of the human mind. Google. Controls 90% of the search engines. They can control people's perception of any person, any political movement, any philosophy, any historical event, uh, any possible event in the future, by simply controlling what sites that you go to about a certain person. Like Wikipedia, which is their encyclopedia. Uh, But it's controlled by Jews. It's controlled by a Jew named Wales. Who also won a big a million dollar prize in Israel, and in Israel said that he's a staunch Zionist and dedicated to the Jewish people. You can imagine what they write about me. It's not it's not truthful things, folks. They don't allow me to even have a single word or produce any document, even for the federal government, on my tax charges proving that I overpaid my taxes for the year in which they talk about me. They say I didn't graduate from an accredited university or it's a mail order. And yet they have six undergraduates of the university that I graduated from. And none of those people, they say it's from a mail order school. And some of those are like the head of the of the Austrian Symphonic Orchestra uh, and who had other departments from their graduate degrees like mine from my university, MAUP. That, uh, but they don't call that those people out from a, a mail order school. They can do anything they want to do. And these, these are the realities of what, what can happen. They want to control the mind. Now, here's what we've got to do. I'm going to make it clear in the rest of my life that I am not what they define me as. I'm not a racist. Because the way they define racist, the popular meaning of the term racist is somebody who hates other people and wants to destroy other people. It doesn't matter that maybe we can define it in a different term. You can say, oh, if you define it, so-and-so, I am one If you. No, that doesn't work. This is what the term uses, and they have the power to media to repeat it a million times. The same thing is true about anti-Semite. Now, anti-Semite is losing power because now we know what an anti-Semite is because they define an anti-Semite is, as anybody who dares to want to stop the mass murder and maiming of thousands of children. The death toll in Gaza now is of about 28,000. Children killed in Gaza are about 12,000. And another 20,000 uh, have been maimed. And the total death tolls are now about sixty-eight to 70,000 people in this area. 70,000, including at least, as I said, 12,000 dead and maybe another 20,000 children maimed, crippled, amputated arms, you know, blinded, maimed, dying a torturous death. I go back to the line of Jesus Christ, which I think is the most powerful line about the Jewish question ever written when he's speaking to the Pharisees. It's in the Bible. It's it's in in in, uh, in, in John eight, I think it's eight forty four, and there's lines before that talking about where Jesus Christ says, "You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free," and he's arguing with these Pharisees. They're calling him a devil and a charlatan and an idolater, and all these things. And this is what he says to the Jewish elite, the Jewish purveyors of the oral tradition, which became the Jewish Talmud, the Jewish law. Christ says. And this is why they hate Christ and they hate Christians and they hate the New Testament. He says, Ye and ye fathers are the sons of the devil and the lusts of ye father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own essence, for he is the father of lies. We see that in the lies coming out about Gaza. We see that in the lies they constantly do in their control of the media. The truth is, I don't hate or oppose in any way all Jews. I respect Jews, the fight against Jewish supremacy. Dave, you got but thirty seconds. At the same seconds. time, I recognize the greatest threat to humanity, and it's time we band with other human beings, even of different races and cultures and religions, and fight together against the ultimate threat to all of us. That Perfect. is my message to the world.
0: Perfect. Thanks, Dave. I'm going to close it out right now, but hang. Don't forget to tune in next Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, for the Dave and Duke Call-In Show, where David Gahari and the incomparable Dr. David Duke will take your phone calls and discuss whatever questions you want to bring to the table. See you next Sunday.